Hello and welcome back to another episode of the DigiTalks podcast. I'm your host, Natalie, and today I am joined by Jared Brown. Thanks for joining me, Jared. Thank you very much. I'm very excited to be here. I'm excited to have you, first of all, because you brought me wine, but second of all, because absolute e-com guru, and I hate using the word guru, but in this instance, I'm going to use it. Let me give you the standard little rundown of Jared working across the e-commerce and digital space, both in Australia and globally for over 15 years. That's half my life. Jared has gained experience within a wide variety of industries and businesses across both B2C and B2B, constantly adapting and evolving with e-commerce and digital marketing technology, trends and user behavior in order to deliver and lead best-in-market solutions that drive meaningful business results. Most famously, Jared was the head of e-commerce and digital at Australian Fashion Labels for six years, where he was recognised as a 2019 e-commerce retailer of the year finalist, named one of the 2019 leaders in e-commerce top 100 all-stars, and added to the 2016 e-commerce ones to watch list. Isn't that nice to hear back? Yeah, I kind of forgot about all that stuff, but <laughs> it, it is nice to hear. Currently, he is the head of digital at Sometimes Always, a boutique online bottle shop and Alpha Box and Dice, who produces wine from McLaren Vale and the Adelaide Hills. Jarrett says it himself. He is fascinated with human behavior and how attention, trust and value are truly the asset that drives business success. With his ability to bridge e-commerce marketing and integrated digital strategy with deep commercial awareness and business acumen, keeping the consumer at the center of it all being what truly sets him apart. I love that because customer first always, right? That's the key. These days, there's a lot of choice. So especially in the online world, I'm always thinking customer. So let's go back to the beginning then. First and foremost, how did you get into digital and e-com specifically? <laughs> so it's pretty funny. It's a long time ago, sort of probably 18, 19 years when things started forming. Always worked uh, in retail, always sort of fell into retail jobs and liked selling. So I mean, that helps. Yeah, yeah. I always sort of got a kick out of selling things and loved seeing how much I could sell every day. So during the years when I was trying to complete my uni degree, very poor student. Yep. Not very interested. I ended up working uh, in a skate store, also sold records and things like that. And I met or became friends with a bunch of musicians and I'd sort of dabbled with music when I was a kid. And so I started playing bands and basically that became my sole focus. Cool. Um, but during that time, I walked into Derringer's Music one day after going for a telemarketing job, which I failed miserably at. Um, <laughs> started talking to the guy in the drum shop and like just talking about what I liked, what I knew about the product. I walked away and someone who I knew worked there called me 20 minutes later and they said, hey, do you need a job? The guy in the drum store wants to, to employ you. And so I thought this was the best thing ever because I was super into drums. I was like, this, Dream job, this is right? awesome. So I continued to not pay heaps of attention to uni. I was studying <laughs> new media, which is not heaps new anymore. New uh, media? That, what did that consist of? Well, it was like doing flash, like really basic animation, Corel Draw. So it was a few <laughs> elements. It was a Bachelor of Arts degree. Yeah, okay. But with some sort of very early digital subjects. Elements, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Anyhow, working at the at the music store, you started to see websites popping up where people were selling things. Yeah. And I thought, this is really interesting. And it's almost like it hit me that this was the future. Yeah, like light bulb moment. Well, yeah, it was one of those things, oh, this is going to be huge. And I, I remember thinking, this is going to be huge. So I went to the boss and said, hey, can I make a website or update the website so that we can sell things? And it all kind of went from there. So I was wow. doing that in the in the music store. So I was selling on the floor when people walk in. And then as soon as there was no customers, I was back to the computer and entering products. And I was That's just, good. yeah, yeah. And it, that, uh, that was kind of how it all started. And um, they would have loved that initiative too. Yeah, I think so. I think it was a little bit like, oh, go on then, mate. Like, yeah. you, seem, <laughs> you seem pretty passionate about this, but I'm not sure. Because you know how people were a bit like, oh, the internet... 
that old thing at the start. Oh, it was like social media. It's a fad. It'll go away. Here we are. Yeah, yeah. 12 years later. But I sort of persisted with it. Yeah. Um, And, you know, there was a lot of products. If you imagine all the products the music store sells, so trying to get the most in demand or interesting things up. I've been racking my brain trying to think about what the CMS platform was called that we built it on. I've sent emails to people, to my friend. I'm like, what was it called? And we just cannot think of it, which shows how long ago it was. But it was pre-Shopify, pre-Magento, all of that. I presume it would have been quite manual. Yeah, it was. It actually weirdly looked a bit like the big commerce back end. Yeah. I still have visions of it, but you couldn't import anything via CSV. It was all like, yep. you know, one product at a time. Yep. All those, no marketplaces, none of that stuff. It was just very rudimentary. Yeah. But yeah, so that was kind of the start and then just got hooked because I would come into work one day and check it and I was like, damn, we just sold a $5,000 guitar to Brisbane. How cool. Yeah, couldn't do that from Adelaide. And then, you know, the wheels started turning and I just started becoming hooked on that feeling of, you know, the world is the marketplace, not just where you're standing right now. That's the reality now, you know, gone are the days where you're just competing with the shop down the road, right? You're on a global, you're on a global marketplace, which makes it, yes, more competitive, but the reality is people have choice. That's exactly right. It was kind of funny at the start. If you were ahead in e-commerce, it was kind of easy to make sales because there weren't that many people competing with you. So if you had a presence, you'd pe- the sales just fell into your lap. You were leaps and bounds ahead. Yeah, it was. Ama- and I think it kind of made you feel like you were better than you were because it was just the fact that the market didn't have that. And then as people started to catch up, you know, you had to be better. Yeah. So that that's how I guess all that continuous improvement comes on. Well, and then, you know, you have you have what, we went, what we've been through the last few years where it's like any dum-dum can sell something on the internet. Yeah. Um, it's re- I often think about this, that the long tail just chews up little pieces of people's success. Yeah. And so, you know, just that customer buying from that store or all these little micro purchases across the long tail really chip away at sort of the medium, small, medium-sized retailers trying to grow. Mm. Because people don't often buy for a reason. Might be they stumble across it, they see it on Instagram, or it's a Google shopping result. But I think that's what a lot of small business owners or maybe young marketers don't quite understand, that a lot of what we purchase isn't that intentional. It's whoever was in front of us at the right time. Yeah, that's exactly right. So in that case then, how as a business or how as a marketer are you supposed to strategically align yourself to get that best result. Yeah, I mean, I guess anytime someone makes a purchase and that's why I get that customer obsession again because that's your opportunity to try and lock them in and maybe they're not completely monogamous because I don't think anyone really is anymore as far as your retail loyalty. But like if you've got share of consideration every time someone's going to purchase something that's within your field and that's what you've got to work on and set yourself apart in those in those places, especially when multiple people can sell the same product. I think that's where it gets complicated because the reality is now, you know, I've talked about this in other episodes as well, Mm. but when people are buying crap off of Alibaba and you're just branding it differently or just chucking a logo on it or, you know, your website's nicer, you're still buying the same thing. Yeah, there's lots of really interesting dropshipping style things going on, like the 35 mil, you know, plastic cameras. Yes. You know, where people are just buying them off Alibaba, coming up with some clever branding, chuck up a Shopify store. A couple of influencers doing some posts. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's really <laughs> interesting that people, are, you know, can turn brands like that. But yeah, there probably is a lifespan to them because they're sort of, you know, a one-hit wonder product. Potentially. Talk me through, so Auslabels and its brands are obviously globally recognised. You know, I think at the time that we met, which was probably four years ago, you yeah. know, you were in China, you were in America, yeah. there was a lot happening. Yeah. 
How did you develop that e-com strategy? Because I think at the time you entered, it yeah. was like free range, right? Yeah, it was It was kind of another one of those interesting scenarios. So my wife and I had been living in London, working over there. We returned back to Adelaide. I was working remotely for a Sydney company that I met while I was in London. Isn't it funny how things yeah. kind of work out? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's so bizarre. And so we were kind of toying with the idea of whether I'd move to Sydney to continue with that job. But it so turned out that my wife worked in fashion and wholesale. Okay. And so she came back and Auslabels was probably the most logical place in Adelaide for her to uh, investigate, I guess. So she ended up getting the job there. And I wasn't really aware because the rise of that business sort of happened a lot while we were overseas. Yes. So I kind of, I was aware, but I wasn't, sort of super across the growth they'd had so far. And so when she got the job there, I, I had a look at Fashion Bunker and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And I just asked her one day, like, who does the e-com there? And so anyway, she went out and spoke to the bosses and said, who does the e-com there? And they said, oh, funny you should ask why. We're actually looking for someone. Amazing. And so she said, put some clothes on, mate. You better come down to the office because I want to have a chat. And so, yeah, went down there, had a look at the metrics. I said, look, first thing, just give me a look at what's going on. And I was real, I was kind of one of those moments where I was like, this all looks real good, yeah. considering you're not really focusing on it. I was like, oh, there's all this traffic. How are they doing this? And Potential. so got super excited. So at the start, there was a lot of people who wanted to work for the company and they said, oh, okay, no job, but you could work in the online part. We need customer care or we need people adding the products, those sorts of things. So I guess my first step when I went in there was to pull it all together and try and make sense of it all. Yeah, um, work out what sort of needed to be prioritised. Yeah, exactly. And then there was just lots of low-hanging fruit in respect to all the exciting e-com stuff that's like your bag of tricks, you know, setting up automations, getting a proper email service provider, retargeting, yep. getting all those things set up was kind of like, let's get that all happening, try and get everything running smoothly. Then we can start to... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, let's get... They were running, like, customer service out of Outlook. Oh, God. You, you know, you know all those things. And, like, it's just necessity. Yeah. You know, they just set it up and... But I was just excited. I was like, there's potential here. So away we go. Set all those things up and it's kind of amazing when there's already a bit of traffic and there's already a bit of hype that when you get these e-commerce building blocks in place, like, the sales just start. Yeah. They start growing yep. um, because, you know, all the sort of baseline things were happening. It's funny because I think, you know, we, we, we use that business as, as an example. You know, I used to work at Sookie, which was a boutique. Did on, you? Yeah, I used to manage the Rundle Street store. My wife used to work there as oh well. Oh my God, it's the Adelaide. Yeah. So I used to work at Rundle Street <laughs> and, you know, we were one of their biggest stockers at the time. Yeah, so right. wholesale was their biggest the biggest thing. And when we would get, when we would be like the salesperson of the month, whatever, we'd get to go to the house. Oh, in, yeah. Um, uh, uh, Stonyfell. Stonyfell next to my, my school, St. Skills. And we'd get to pick some samples. Yeah. And it was just like the best thing ever. But like you said, everyone wanted to work there. Everyone knew yeah. them. And it was crazy that it was not done online. I didn't even have Instagram then. Well, I think what happened is it was just kind of an idea initially to move excess samples and wholesale orders that weren't taken. Yeah. And I think, and they were just like, oh, hell, like people want this and away, away, we, go. away we go. And it was just this amazing outlet to deal with stock that had no other home. Crazy. Yeah. What was, was there anything you did there that really changed the game and the position? So obviously, you know, you ticked all the boxes from yeah. the fundamentals, but what was kind of like that next level? Yeah. I mean, from the start and the, when we, I used to work with the, the owners and 
we kind of wanted to use like Fashion Bunker as like the best representation of the brands online because we couldn't control the way that the wholesale clients presented Correct. the brands. So they would shoot them on their models. They would present them their way. To their customer. To their customer or, you know, in line with whatever they did. You know, you remember like, say, David Jones, they'd shoot a very like up and down, not very exciting. So that was kind of always the motivation at the start was like, okay, well, let's show our... How we want it to be seen. Yeah, like let's actually sell the brand. We used to buy the whole collection to sell because, you know, rather than picking pieces out of it, we'd buy the whole thing. Yep. So at first, I think, you know, working to get really good product photography, that took years to really nail down. We went from like white backgrounds to then doing editorial, to a mix of two, all these things. Um, Did you A-B test a lot of that? Well, (laughs) we A-B tested a whole site on top of another site. So we were doing a new site design and because it was turning over quite a bit of revenue, yeah. I was like, I'm really frightened to you do a wholesale, like this whole new site out over the old one. So yep. for about four months, we had two completely independent sites four running. Months. Yeah, yeah, because to get statistical significance, it takes a long time, especially with so many points. True. So like this button, you know, there was we had to sort of run micro experiments inside it to, you know, isolate the differences. <laughs> that is wild. Oh, look, I may have drove myself crazy. But... <laughs> I'm just imagining. Yeah. But were there clear things that you were like, yep, cool, that's not working or that is working? Yeah, I mean, it's funny, with A-B testing, a lot of times I've found the results are often quite small and even at fairly large traffic levels like we were seeing, mm. we'd only see small uplifts and I know that's meaningful um, in the long term, but mm. I think maybe you need to be that next level up of... To really see Yeah, that. and in hindsight, probably testing a whole site on top of another whole site was a bit silly. So you won't do that again? I don't think so, <laughs> no, no. I mean, I think these days you can kind of tell if they're improvements because they're solving the things that the customer's feeding back to you. Correct. As opposed to just like, I want to make it look different, you know. Yeah. But there's something to be said about committing to improving the experience of a site, not just saying, I've got this brand new site design and now it never changes. Like, Yeah, I cust- think you always need to be improving. Yeah, if you expect the customer to come back frequently, you've got to commit to changing the experience frequently. But back to your question. Um, <laughs> I think we went down a pretty crazy road of personalization. I know. Um, I was on the receiving end. Yeah, so... Uh, not just sort of product recommendations, but we were going down content personalization. So we used a tool called Nosto. I was one of the first people to get the actual dynamic content personalization module that they they brought out. And it meant that I could select every block on the whole site. So like homepage banner, any bit of text, any editorial image, any messaging, and then build segments across the whole customer journey. So first time visitor, returning visitor, almost going to buy, you know. Based on did, their behavior. Based on their behavior, sale victim, product. Yeah, I, feel, I, feel, I, was gonna say, I feel personally <laughs> victimized by you right now because I'm Cameo's like number one customer. Yeah, it's embarrassing. So those sorts of things, like um, brand affinities. Yeah. And then build the site based on those things. So knowing you liked Cameo, we'd make sure you got a Cameo home, <laughs> it all home makes page sense banner. Now. <laughs> it all makes sense. And that uh, was an absolute game changer. At that level of traffic, it, it just made a massive difference. Because if I knew you were a sale customer, i just give you sale. Correct. Because I knew you never bought full price. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not even going to bother with that premium stuff. I'm just going to lead you straight down into the sales section. Genius. Um, but needed that because the product turnover was but so high. you had high. so many different levels too. So like, you know, when we, when we look at the different customers for each brand... Your Cameo customer is not going to buy Finest Keepers most of the time. Your Finest Keepers customer probably isn't going to buy Keepsake either. Like, there isn't that much crossover. Well, you'd think that. 
but it was quite interesting. There was normally like a brand affinity between two. So that yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. You wouldn't think that, but it was almost like it was a gateway, gateway to the other brands. And there was always a lot of discussion about, well, we should really pump the individual brands' websites by themselves. Yeah, but. I personally saw so much benefit in pushing people into sort of no, our catch-all because, say, at the time, the fifth was kind of more relaxed. So the Cameo customer would buy their dress for the wedding, but then they'd they'd get exposure to this other brand yep. and then come by, back and buy tracksuit, I don't know, yep. something like that for, like, weekends. Yeah. But, yeah, people did um, cross shop across brands more than I would have expected as yeah, well. Cool. But maybe because they all had a little bit of a bent as to what they were designed for. Yep, yep. Even though that might not have been super obvious from the outside. That's really interesting because, mm. yeah, from the outset, you look at them and you think they're quite different. I mean, Megan Reeves is now yeah. the CMO yeah. at um, that Oz Labels. Yeah. And I worked with her yeah. at Rideware, and some of the stuff they've done there is just incredible. So, yeah, I keep a loose eye on what's happening over there. I'm always like, I never thought that I'd leave because it was. I didn't my, think you'd leave uh, either. My ba- it was uh, <laughs> like that's just me though. I just get so obsessed with what I'm working on that it's it's kind of it's difficult for me to separate myself because I'm sort of day and night like. So how that. was how was your team? Structured. So at the start, it was pretty pretty basic, just a customer care team, a, a product team, as in getting products live. There was so much product work to the do because work. there was, for better or for worse, the volume of new product that was coming out, there was a lot to do. So getting photos in on products, getting uh, descriptions, wash care, all those sorts all of things. Stuff. And then there was creative department and buying Yep. Essentially what we're going to buy and merchandising. But then as time went on and as we grew, we rolled out in line with our strategy to be sort of like the best place that you could see the brands. It also, we decided it needed to be localized and we wanted to feel as close to the customer as we possibly can. So we're like, all right, where are the main markets? So it was Australia, it was the USA, it was the UK and it was China. So we said, all right, let's do it. We're going to roll out localized sites for each one of those regions. So as far as like CRM department, email marketing, we needed to do five emails instead of in one Um, because seasonality, product availability. Yeah. Seasonality is a big one when you're working in international markets. And mm. I think a lot of people forget that as well. Like, I don't want to see summer when it's winter. Exactly. Yeah. There's there's a whole whole bunch of... And we went down a kind of slippery slope of being addicted to sending email, which you probably, you know, you can understand that you see the revenue that's generated from email. And so you're like, oh, we send three times a week. All right, now we send four times a week. Now we send five. Now we send every day because you see the revenue. And you're like, well, if we go backwards, then we're going to see a revenue drop. And so we got very addicted to send email, so we were sending every single day to five regions. So, and you know, all those emails needed to be like Chinese CTAs. Um, you know, every template was different. different and, of course. Yeah, we weren't using templates either. I we were building them all in Photoshop and cutting and, and slicing, slicing them, them up. Oh my god! Because because I, I was like, if we're going to send emails every day, we're doing it properly. You've got to respect the customer and not just give them templated emails. We've got to make this look beautiful. Yeah. We've got to make it seem custom. We've got to design it. And everyone was behind that. It was like, if we want that, we need to put the effort in. So yeah. there's a bit of a trade off. But yeah, we grew like that. More graphic designers to do more emails, someone looking after CRM, someone looking after PR, customer care team grows, grows, grows because you've got... Well, the more orders you have, the more customers yeah, you have, the customer more. Yeah, <laughs> customer care in LA. So we did 24-hour customer service. So I had someone on, put warehouses in UK, Hong Kong, USA. So yeah, there was a bunch going on. It's a lot. Oh, yeah. It's a lot, but I'm sure like, you look back and just like you see how much you achieved in that time? Yeah, I mean, definitely do. And it was, you know, myself and the, I guess, dedication and how hard everyone's foot was on the pedal at the time to really grow it. Quite amazing 
really. Like some of the days would just, I just can't imagine having a website that would do that much business. It's like... Teamwork makes the dream work though. And I think, you know, if you don't have a team that's all aligned and all working towards that one goal, I love how you were talking about, you know, the the goal and the strategy of being the best pl- the place that best represents all the brands. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Everything you do, everything you put out has to just align with that. And I think that is gold. Yeah. I mean, especially when they're your brands, you show the world how you want them to be seen and be as close to the customer as possible. If I had to distill it down. That's... So you relate to the customer quite well then? <laughs> Well, I'm a dresses of you ball, lately. No, none. It's a frightening thought of me wearing a dress, to be honest. But, you know, it doesn't mean I, c- I couldn't get inside the like customer's it. mind and like think about why would someone be buying this? Yeah. What is the price point? What does it mean? I think sometimes it's better to be further away from the literal customer. Like, yeah. you know, sometimes, you know, particularly with this, mm. I, I look at it more personally. Yeah. So go, what would I do? Yeah. But it, yeah, because I'm one of the customers mm. doesn't mean I'm all of them. Yeah. So sometimes it's nice to have that separation. Yeah, I think that actually helped selling women's fashion because I was separated. I didn't have sort of preconceived ideas about what was right, what was cool or not. I sort of understood what the fashion was and what was happening as far as the trends. But yeah, looking at the numbers and just making sure we were catering for everybody and not letting that bias like seep into the buying or the merchandising, sort of looking at it a bit more like pragmatically, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I think we all have bias. (laughs) (laughs) Naturally, like we're humans. Yeah. Um, But yeah, when it comes to marketing, sometimes you really have to in, in all sorts, you know, I think one of the biggest things that I find is social media. Yeah. What I think looks great, yeah. you might think looks like dog shit. Yeah. That's just the nature of the beast. Yeah. It's very subjective. Yeah. So I think when you can step back and go, yeah, cool. Obviously, it needs to look and feel like what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. But let's just look at the numbers. Yeah, yeah. Are we getting the outcome? And I yeah. think having more of an outcome-focused mentality is, I think, where things are probably heading. Yeah. Well, that should be there already, but... Yeah, that's right. But it, it is hard to put sort of your own taste behind you sometimes when you think something looks really good and it's not achieving the outcome and something that you think is probably below par or not something that you're super proud of is. Yeah. It is difficult to swallow if your brand has a strong brand aesthetic or a brand voice. But I think that's come with the change of, you know, I was even just talking to a friend the other day. Instagram, when, you know, when we first got it... Mm. 12 years ago, mm. it was heavily curated. You only posted yeah. the best thing. You know, to be an influencer, you had to have yeah. professional photos. Yeah. Like, it was a different time. Now, the more raw and unedited, the better. That's what people want. Yeah. So, for a lot of brands who I think were thriving in those early days, yeah. to make that transition to that raw thing now, it's it's uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's people know the sort of production that gets put on things. And so they do want back to the customer to feel like they're not being duped or they really know what they're going to get. And if that is looks a bit shabby or a bit raw, they're comfortable with it because they can see. Both. They know what they're getting. Yeah, exactly. They know what they're getting. Totally. Talk me through the move to Alpha Box and Dice. Now, that was pre-COVID. Yeah, yeah, it was. So Dylan and Justin, who own Alpha Box and Dice, uh, friends of mine, well, friends before. and Best I used, going around. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> yummy. Um, it, uh, we, I used to sort of catch up with them for lunch on Fridays sometimes and they'd always hear me banging on about, oh, I'm building a messenger bot or I'm doing something, like I'm trying something. And I think they always had like a firm belief that the D2C wine space was kind of behind the rest of digital. A lot of wine brands, old school. 100%. Um, and don't focus on that sort of thing. And they're always been quite progressive and sort of thought, you know, there's a future in this. So they came to me and said, well, what do you think about coming across and working for us? And my initial thought was, I'm not sure there'd be enough for me to do in a wine brand like that coming from what I was doing. Correct, yeah. Um, but they did speak to me at the same time 
and say, and we've got this other idea, which is make creating a brand from scratch, multi-brand boutique online wine store that will run out of the same premises. You started frothing. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I, I started <laughs> reflecting and thinking, at heart, I'm a practitioner. I like to touch things. I like to try things. I like to get into the new platform, mess around. I like to fix problems, you know, solve issues, find new tech, things like that. And I did feel like over the years, I'd become more and more separated from actually touching things at Oz Labels as yeah. I was working on the business. I was doing freight. I you was, weren't doing the grunt work. I was P&Ls. I was, you know, all that ah, sort of stuff. Which I actually quite business. like it, but I did miss like touching Instagram. I did yeah. miss getting in the email platform. Getting hands dirty. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, you know what? I think sometimes you have to reflect. And I felt like maybe I was getting, my ideas were getting stale there. Maybe I wasn't as inspired as I was as far as new ideas. And I'm like, you've just been solely focused on apparel. There's a whole nother world out there. Totally. And, um, and I love Dylan Justin. And so I said, yeah, let's do it. So That's very like bold of you to actually, you know, acknowledge that, you know, maybe you need to start getting your hands dirty again. Because I think a lot of, I think the natural progression for people, not just yeah. marketers, yeah. you get to a point where you're like, I'm only going to oversee things. I'm never going to actually yeah. do the grunt work. But I think particularly when things are changing all the time, yeah. you have to you have to go back in there. You know, Instagram looks yeah. different today than it did last week. Yeah, oh, totally. My, I mean, that's my opinion that anyone who's going to be successful in e-commerce and digital for that matter, they can't get too far away from the product or what's happening. You need to touch it. Like someone can tell you about the changes yeah, but unless you mess around yourself. Yeah, yeah. You need to be, you know, feeling out. I mean, you probably do the same thing as me. I'm like, anecdotally, I think I'm seeing carousel posts more than what I'm seeing single posts just because I'm on there. Or, you know, these little changes that, yeah. that I can feed in and implement, but only because I care enough to be in touch with the product. It's funny, like, you know, people often ask me, you know, how do you handle being on social media all the time? Yeah. And I think because I started so long ago and I knew I've always known mm. of it from a business perspective yeah. not a personal perspective yeah. I look at it all the time and straight away I'm like oh it's serving me this it's testing me because I started following this yeah, person yeah. I'm getting this ad because I went on this website yeah. I'm always thinking about what's happening in the back end rather yeah. than do I like this yeah exactly and I mean you probably do the same thing as me like recently I'm like alright just you know they're trying to push reels look at these static posts, the likes are dropping down, dropping down, dropping down, like getting five when yep. you used to get hundreds. Yep. And then you see it starting to creep back up again where they're, they're saying, they're Balance. saying, uh, yeah, they're balancing it out. But we did adjust, we do adjust our strategy based on those things, noticing it that you week. Yeah, you can't wait for the blog post or you have to sort of... Being agile is the hardest thing and being able to move quickly. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, I've spoken about this um, with some other guests in previous episodes. Mm. When you've got too many layers of approval, yeah. particularly in social, yeah. you can't move quickly. Hate red tape. Hate you've red just got to have the freedom to be able to yeah. do it and trust your team. A hundred percent. And like, you know, what is it? Apologize later than yeah. ask for permission now. Yeah. Can't really do that bad. It's one button to archive a post. Like a story's gone and, you know, I don't right. think so. But sometimes, you know, you want people to bring in fresh ideas and not think that they have to wait for your direction because... It's one way to squash creativity. Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. So... For sure. Talk to me more about Sometimes Always. Yeah. Was the reason that it was developed, obviously... So they, the guys always had this idea, but mm. did the COVID boom in wine kind of... <laughs> it's a funny thing because the, the, we were planning it prior to... Divine timing. <laughs> well, yeah, kind of. We actually were planning on putting in a store as well, like a physical store, which we ended up... Well, the AHA ended up vetoing our application, but that's another talk show. We 
kind of thought there was a gap. So when they came to me and, and I started doing some research, like I'm an avid wine drinker, I love it, I always, you know, I'm into it. So it was pretty exciting, the concept of it. But I started looking and I was like, wow, there's a massive divide. There's either like race to the bottom big websites. There's either like these library style, huge, like 7,000 products. Yeah. Huge things that aren't very well considered. They're just like, we will sell anything <laughs> under the sun. Yeah. And then there was sort of niche things that so like they really focused on Burgundy or they really focused on natural wine or they really focused on champagne. And I was like, in the middle, there's this gap where we felt like we could create a store that worked off personal recommendations. So saying we endorse every product that we sell. Yeah. So hopefully people could feel confident. Once they trusted us, they could feel confident to buy anything because we don't just buy everything. Yeah. We taste everything and we say... This I wouldn't worth, drink it. I wouldn't ask you well, to drink this it. Is worth, this is worth your time. The other thing is going back to people being very specialized. We kind of felt like if you're into wine, you can kind of appreciate all styles. So it's not like if you're into food, you don't just say, I only eat Chinese food. Yeah. You, you know, people who are into food appreciate, you know, a vast array of different styles 100%. of food. So we're like, okay, there's lo-fi wine that's, you know, really natural made. That's kind of a trend that's happening right now. Some amazing wine in that bundle. There's progressive wine where people are using new techniques, but they're sort of new and traditional techniques in yeah. winemaking. And then there's traditional. There's good stuff across all these. So let's curate a list or a site full of these products that rotate all the time. We're not going to sell the same things over and over again. Yep. But the idea being that someone on the team will vouch for every product. Um, so you can feel comfortable going, I don't know what that is, but... If they've picked it, I feel confident to try it. And the last one he recommended was great. So therefore, yeah. hundred percent. And then so from there, it spawns onto, all right, well, what can I do with all the years of e-com? How do I translate this into a brand new brand and a brand new site? And so a developer's nightmare. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was my next question. Yeah, well, like, you know, it was like, I need this and I need that. And it, it turned out we had to build a Frankenstein uh, yeah. site, headless, so decoupled back end and front end um, yeah. in order to achieve it because none of the CMS on the market at the time could achieve my glorious scope. Yeah, but you got what you wanted. Got what we wanted. And yeah, we went from there. We tried to create a really powerful brand, very like has a visual identity, separated from everyone else. I was like, every product we're shooting it ourselves. We're not using stock photography. Yeah. Build a rod for our own back because it's very intensive on creative. But I, I do feel like your creative is so recognizable. Yeah, like yeah. every, you're very, very big on content marketing. Yeah. Like your whole marketing strategy yeah. is tight. Yeah. Um, And I think that's really like, hats off to you because I think the reality is now that, like you said, you know, wine's a flooded marketplace, right? Yeah. Like, I talk to people about it all the time. Yeah. What's going to make someone buy wine online when I can mm. just walk down to mm. Goodwood Sellers at the end of my street, cheap plug, yep. and just pick whatever the guy recommends or yeah. whatever I recognize label-wise? Yeah. Why would I go buy it online at sometimes always? Well, it's kind of an interesting thing. At completely opposite of fashion in a way. So, for the wine we're selling, you know, there are 70,000 million, I don't know, infinite amounts of wine out there that is produced that we could choose to sell. Mm. Then there is a smaller bunch that we think is either like a cult product, like there's demand, it's cool, it's interesting, or it's produced in very low quantities. So you can't get, 
you can't replenish it. So against competition, the differentiator is removed because other people can get their hands on exactly the same product as what we can get. Sure, we're curating it, but a lot of the, the sort of demand products that sell out in a day or a week, it, they allocate them. So they're like, all our good customers from the distributor, you get 12 bottles, you get yes. 12 bottles, you get 12 So we have no differentiator on product in that respect for that sort of like high demand mm. stuff. Opposite of fashion, you create your own product that is differentiated from everyone else's. So with that, we came back to customer again. And I'm like, all right, we just have to be better than everybody else when it comes to customer. We have to be better when it comes to the way we describe the product. So I'm like, we're going to write our own product descriptions. Yeah. So we work with some um, wine writers. Love it. Because a lot of people either take the wine notes from the producer. Yeah. Um, and so, it's like, it look, it's like another language. Yeah. And like, so, I don't know what it means when you talk about being like roasty and I'm like, yeah, what does yeah. this, this wine taste like? Yeah. So then, you know, we sort of said, all right, we're not going to write a description. We're going to write why we love this wine. So every description is based on a personal recommendation. It's someone saying, this is why we love it. It often doesn't have a lot to do with the flavor. Well, it might it? be like, <laughs> so we sell this wine that a bunch of nuns make in Italy. So they, they, they have a convent. Um, or a, a nunnery. Conference. This is the best thing ever. Right. I and want to be a nun that makes wine. So, yeah, and they buy, um, biodynamically farm vines around where they live. They farm it all by hand. They vinify it all there and they sell. So That's I love story. that. That is the story. And that that is a story you can take to someone's house when you go, see this white wine? Yeah. This was made by a bunch of nuns. <laughs> <laughs> but so from there as well, we tried to want to make it visual as well because the best thing at your bottle shop, like you talk about going into your local shop, you walk up to the person in there and you say, oh, look, it's hot. I want something refreshing, whatever. They're like, have this. So how do we, that's the personal recommendation piece. But we also developed flavor icons. So we've got 164 flavor icons that we got designed. And then we have sort of a scale where we talk about the alcohol, the acidity, uh, the tannin, uh, so and the sweetness. Good. So people can visually kind of go, yeah, yeah cool, this yeah. ticks my boxes. Yeah, exactly. So it, we're trying to cover all those bases and then from there, be educational, be aspirational in the way we present wine and then be trustworthy so that people have good wine from us and then they're like, all right, I want to go back again. Yeah, yeah. And talk to me about the loyalty side of things because, again, I think your, your new loyalty program I think is fantastic. And, again, you know, we don't want people to buy from us once. No, certainly not. It was an interesting one um, when I was looking to set that up after we launched and started talking to the team about loyalty that they liked. Lots of the girls liked Mecca. Yeah. Um, as they do, Beauty Loop. Beauty Loop. So I was like, okay, that's a cool thing and started thinking about it. There's lots of loyalty providers in the market, as you well know. Mm. And I started looking at all those and I was like, you know what? Points, points kind of suck. Yeah. I've seen it before from a customer service perspective where people are like, where are my points? I lost my points. You didn't give me enough points. And then your customer care team's not looking after customers. They're trying to work out like... Where are these person's points? Yeah, <laughs> and, and I always think it's a distraction and a, a yeah. it, it detracts from the experience because people are so worried about their points. So I kind of wanted to create something along the lines of the mecca, you know, you buy and it puts you in a tier. Yep. But I thought it would be kind of cool that a lot of people wouldn't buy a $100 bottle of wine. A lot of people wouldn't probably buy a $75 bottle of wine. A lot of people probably won't buy $50 bottles of wine. You know, 20 to 40 is, the, is our hot spot. Yeah. So we're like, okay, you just purchase with us in a three-month window and you achieve a level and then we just send you a bottle, no strings attached. And, and you, who says no to free wine? Well, no, no one. Not you. 
Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so the idea being that, you know, these people, they might buy like a bunch of wine for their birthday and they spend $700 because it's their 30th. I don't know. But then at the end of it, we send them a $90 bottle of wine that they would never have bought. And they, you know, they get to try something and then they get to see what we're on about. And, you know, we're giving them something that we believe in. And they're like, okay, maybe I can see the value in that $90 bottle of wine. I've never tasted anything like that before. I got to have it in my own house. It's not a sip of someone's at a restaurant or something. Yeah. And so we kind of like get to expose people to other products and keep them in our, our system, I guess, and like to get to see what we're on about, yeah. essentially. Man, it's just simple, easy to understand. Go into your dashboard and your account. We yeah. actually built that custom. I was going to say, that's um, customized, isn't it? So yeah. we built the loyalty system in Clavio. So that was a little hack. So we use custom fields to create it and then use those custom fields to feed back into Shopify, into the admin. So we build a dashboard based on that. And so that's amazing because then all our loyalty data sits in Clavio for email marketing. Yeah, so they can, like, we can send an email with how many dollars you've got to spend to hit the next level, all that sort of stuff, all integrated. So yeah, it's kind of cool. And people seem to like it because it's easy to understand. That's the primary thing, I think, particularly when you work in a niche, whether it's wine or fashion or, you know, whatever, we can get caught up in the lingo and, you know, the terminology and whatever. Yeah. you got to separate. you got to step back and go, hey, actually, what is the person getting from this? I think I love that you mentioned exposure to new products. That's the biggest thing. Mm. If you don't know what makes this $90 bottle of wine different, why the hell am I going to buy it? Yeah, that's right. And I mean, it's a lot of a punt. Some of these things are a punt for people to actually try. And I love the idea that maybe they put it away and they drink it on their birthday or those sorts of things. And, And, you know, then there's a sort of a connection with us and a good time, hopefully. A good time, sometimes always. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's the whole thing, yeah, so. I love it, I love it. I think loyalty is one of the biggest missing things in most e-commerce businesses. Yeah. Not even e-commerce, I think in a lot of businesses, you know, how are you rewarding people and mm. thanking them for, for working with you? Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I think I've mentioned, you know, customer, I've definitely mentioned customer, but, um, <laughs> you know, we've got an amazing uh, customer experience manager at work and, you know, that whole thing, the touch points. And so loyalty is obviously rewarding people, but it's also in the way that you treat them. I think you create it in that way. So, you know, people do not wait for responses. Yeah. They get them on the weekends, even when no one's there. Someone will pick up chat no matter what time it is. Um, But also, you know, things like being proactive with shipping issues. So Kayla, the star, she every day will look at the transcripts and see if someone's orders run into problem or running late. And she'll proactively reach out to people and say, hey, you know, this is running a day late, just thought you should know. So you know, those, rather than them having to check their yeah, tracking. Yeah, or yeah, or they might, it's not reliable. No, exactly. So she'll be proactive or, you know, even just getting back to people, you know, even if you don't have an answer for them, like at the end of the day and saying, I don't have any more information, but I haven't forgotten about you. Uh, you know. It's nice, isn't it? Yeah, people... A lot of these purchases, they might seem like they're not that much, but like if you've got $300 worth of something out there traveling around, it can make you feel pretty nervous. Totally. So we always want to make people feel comfortable that we've got them covered and that's what we pay for insurance. So everyone's package is covered. You know, things like that to make you feel really good because like you said, it is really, really easy to just walk down to the shops and grab something from the the bottle shop. And we totally acknowledge that it needs to be a considered purchase to shop online and buy wine. It can't be a spare of the moment purchase. So we need to give more reasons for why people would want to do it in that fashion. From a communication, from a messaging point of view, you're 
your core really is that trust and that, I guess, that personalized yeah. recommendation, yeah. isn't it? Yes, totally. That's the whole thing. We want people to explore. I mean, we say interesting drinks is kind of our is our thing. Like they, they need to be interesting in some sort of way. We don't want to like sell made by nuns in a convent. Initially. Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> even down to wine made by a person. Yeah. So there are other wine merchants or you know online stores that buy bulk wine, stick fancy labels on it and sell it. And it's cheap. Mm. But, you know, that's, that's a whole thing that's out there. And we it's don't like want to... We want to wine. <laughs> kind of is. You know, there's a lot of bulk in tanks out there that you can buy, put it in a bottle, stick your label on it. You're not a producer. A person hasn't made it. And so... Now and going to the future, we're trying to tell the stories more of the people. There is a person behind this. Like, it has a story. It's a digital. <laughs> oh, there you go. Um, no, honestly, like, I think everything has a story. And yeah. I think this is where, you know, we go back to basic sales. In the absence of differentiation, the customer will always shop on price. Yeah. Fundamental. Yeah, totally. So whether you're differentiating in there's a trust element yeah. or there's a story, there's always something. Yeah, yeah. You've just got to sit there and find it. And a lot of people are lazy. It's tricky at the moment as well because I feel like with this sort of macroeconomic climate, people price is becoming a massive thing at the moment. So finding that balance between, you know, being competitive in that space but also having enough scope to over-deliver, to have beautiful packaging, to spend the money on the other that's things. an investment and that's a business oh, decision. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I'm super passionate about that. The, the experience is what keeps people coming back. And like quite a, it's been Christmas time, coming up to Christmas. We've got these many people have reached out to us and said, I just love the way you sent my wine to me. Can you do all our Christmas presents? Yeah. And things like that. And so, you know, you see these little glimmers of where you've put all the effort in, you see the reward. It's a slow burn. And I think for a lot of people too, they expect to do something straight away and then get the outcome. Yeah. You've got, it's, it's a lot of behaviours yeah. consistently over a period yeah. of time. That's when you start to reap the yeah. rewards. Yeah, and if you study your repurchase rates, it gives you faith. Yeah. So like I look at those a lot and... Uh, I think, you know, within a year, 80% of people repurchase. That's massive. So, yeah, and within, uh, off the top of my head, you know, there's sort of like 40% within 30 days and 55% within 60 days. So, like, I'm like, acquiring customers is fine. We can pay to do that because once they... You know you can keep them. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And that's super important to understand. If you're making investments in customer experience, understand what that repurchase rate is like. And is it is it holding true or is it dropping off? Yeah. But yeah, it's very faceless being an online brand. So you always got to be trying to bring that authenticity and and those sorts of things. That's really interesting because I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that when you're like a faceless brand or you have to you have to find someone who wants to be the face of yeah. it to build yeah. that level of connection. But there are so many other ways to yeah. build connection without someone having to slam their face on everything. Yeah. A cool one we've started doing at the moment and it's pretty labor intensive, but I'm, I believe in it and we're going to continue to do it is um, got an app that we send videos to every person on their first order. Cool. From the warehouse. So the crew in the warehouse, actually, we pick their order and then they basically jump on with their order, show it to them on the packing bench, talk to them about the wines they've, they've bought and tell them about when they think it's going to arrive. That's awesome. Yeah, and that's been a really interesting experiment that people, like, lose their mind, number one, because they've never seen anything yeah. like it before. <laughs> but, like, they see that there's a person behind it. Like, they know that Jim's packed that order or Kayla's packed that order. There's ownership. Yeah, they see it and they have a connection and they reply and they're like, oh, wow, this is amazing. Great to, like, lay eyes on you or see who you are. Um, you know. That's very cool. Yeah, that's and so I cool. think finding those other ways, like a handwritten note is really cool. But Been like, done. Well, it's not much of a differentiator anymore. No. So I think no. there's a bunch of stuff like that that can 
you know, help. My brain's ticking, so I hope everyone else's is as well like that. <laughs> this is unreal. Thank you so much for your time. No problem. Um, in closing, I do want to pick your brain one, one final time. Sure. What would be the best piece of advice you'd give to someone starting in an e-commerce role? Yeah, it's... it's Loaded. A, it's an interesting one to think about. I guess you need to be a general specialist. I think there's no way around that. And I think one of your other guests that you were talking about e-com sort of went down that road as well, where... You know, you're touching logistics, you're touching merchandising. You're, yeah. I'm talking... That was Lily from ACLA. Yeah, yeah. Talking to, uh, like, talking to uh, developers, got to understand all that sort of thing. So you really do need to have a base level of understanding across a lot of things if you want to be successful, um, knowing that in most of the roles you'll work at inside an e-commerce, like Scope, other people won't really know mm. um, that stuff. So you are kind of the person that they lean on for those sorts of things. So probably if you could find someone who has experience getting, being an e-com assistant, sitting next to someone like that would probably be the way to go. It doesn't really matter what the industry is, I don't think. Just no. sit next to someone, see how they operate, see how they navigate problems and just like be a fly on the wall in those meetings, like understand the metrics because I think... If you get that broad vision of how it operates on a day-to-day, -day, it puts you in a great spot to step into the role and be responsible for those things. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Get Nail those fundamentals. Yeah, and there are so many of them. But yeah, I think, you know, make sure you can work through, you know, use the Adobe suite. Even if you're not, you know, sitting uh, beneath someone in a role, like, learn how to do that. Like, get on the blogs, like, listen to other podcasts. There's a lot of really good ones out there, even mm. if they're not directly e-com related, but business related and see what's happening. Because it says e-commerce, but it is kind of like a general manager of a business. Yeah, it's understanding people. Yeah. People, at the end of the day, when people are the ones that are buying things, from you, if you're not understanding them, yeah, then you're you're doomed. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In closing, <laughs> <laughs> but it is. Yeah, I don't know. You, you're looking for people with like a lot of different skills, so it's like you know, taste lots of things, try lots of things, and get lots of experience in different things. Love it across the board, and that will help. You know, you'll be able to grow a lot faster. Get your hands dirty and join us on the DigiTalks Facebook group. Any questions for Jared? Um, any questions for myself? Anyone you'd like to hear from? Throw them under the bus. We're loving nominations. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining me, Jared. That Thank was you. wild. I hope everyone's taking notes because I definitely mentally am. And I look forward to chatting with you soon. Bye.